On Only. Carry On Only, dedicated to inspiring your next global adventure. And now, here's your host and personal guide, award-winning photographer, creative director, and travel expert, taking you around the world in style, Jill Pater. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin, along with my colleague, Sam. Hello. We are here with Jill Pater. How's it going, Jill? It's going well, thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jill today is going to take us on a little journey to Provence, France. Uh, she travels extensively for work, so we're excited to hear all of the the good stuff that Jill has to tell us today about her travels um, for work, for pleasure. Um, she is kind of our resident expert. Uh, Jill, what was the first thing that brought you to Provence? Why did you want to go there? Well, one of my great friends was um, goes there yearly for and spends three to four months there a year. And um, I met her, and she said, "You know, we're going to Provence, and in September you should come." And I said, "Okay, great." I and booked my ticket, and it was just it was an amazing experience. I had been to France many of times. I did a, an immersion French program in in Paris for six months at one point, but I had never really spent time in the south of France in Provence. And so I went. She had found me this amazing. Airbnb in a, a castle wow. on a property in Provence. A castle. A castle, Amazing. yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it was pretty... It was the worst places to say. <laughs> right. It was pretty hard not to like. And the great thing about Provence is it's huge. You know, it's relatively big. It's mostly country, but you have a you know a few smaller cities in it. And it's just a very relaxing place to spend time. And so we, every time you go to Provence, it's one of those places that you can have a unique experience every time. I've been back three or four times, and you know, every time we visit small towns, um, you know, we have new food experiences. We work on new projects together. So, uh, did you went for work, or was it for pleasure? The first time was for pleasure, and then we ended up going back. We shot a book called Cuisine Lieb, which is a um, a monograph book on a Michelin star restaurant uh, in France called La Fenière. Nice. So since you've been a couple of times, how long do you recommend spending there? I would say for, as for most European trips, if you're traveling from the U.S., I always recommend 10 days at a minimum to, to two weeks. Obviously, the just longer you can sure. spend, the better. Yeah. yeah. I would say the minimum, yeah. um, minimum with 10 days, just with the travel, getting used to the time zone. Um, Provence is a place you'll fall in love with, so you could easily spend a couple of months there. So it really oh, depends wow. on your— yeah. It was like 10 days so to— So five-day right, getaway you know. is not enough. No, right. no, definitely not, especially in, in places where you're relaxing because once you start kind of taking things down, time goes very oh, quickly. Sure. Right. Yes. It is, so Provence is definitely a place that you would— travel again to? Yes. In fact, um, I I'm, will be going there again in a couple of weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, then. I did not get the invite. Right. Yes. Same. Yes. I absolutely did not. We're still waiting for those in our mailbox. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So right. did you, is, be, you're going at this time of the year. What other times of the year have you gone? To Provence? I've typically gone at this time. This is my favorite okay. time of year. So September. So kind of after the tourist season, September, October is my personal favorite time. So this is low budget travel season? I wouldn't say it's low budget. It's um, it's still an ideal time weather-wise. It's shoulder season. So okay. things are a little bit... Shoulder season? Yeah. <laughs> That's my time of season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> things are a little bit less and you don't have the mass, right. 
mass tourism, especially, you know, in some of these key places, things can be like triple the cost. Um, you know, when everybody has vacation, when kids are out of school, things oh, tend to be right. pretty. But most of Europe tends to go down after August. August is the month that most Europeans take off. So come come mm-hmm. mid-September, people are kind of back in the swing of things. Yeah. And it's just an absolutely beautiful time to visit. The weather is perfect. Oh, it's still great. quite warm. So, so for a place like Provence, were you inspired to go there or was it because you as you mentioned you had a friend who was uh you know trying to get you to go out there or is it just you knew of it it's beautiful and you wanted to go i had uh, certainly known of it and and her interest in it because it's a place that she had spent a lot of time and definitely inspired me to go and having friends there is is key provence is a place where you know you definitely want to rent a car it's it's quite large. There isn't great transportation throughout the region. Sure. If you fly into the cities, if you fly into Marseille, or you're spending time in Aix-en-Provence um, proper, there's transportation around those areas and trains throughout the rest of the country. Is it an easy train ride from, say, Paris, or, you know, to get to Provence? To get to Marseille, it is, and to get to Aix-en-Provence, it's a it's a fairly easy train ride. It's just if you're traveling around the region to see some of the highlights, you definitely want a car. Yeah, I was going to say, I would assume most people probably seek out to go to Paris first and then, you know, try to find their way to Provence. Yes. Um, definitely good to know. So when when you were there, was it just, I hope it wasn't all work. You no, know, never. some some play in there. <laughs> never, Kevin. Uh, so, yeah, so what, what were you up to? You know, were you shooting? Were you, you know, going on location? Like, what, what all were you doing while there? The first time I went there, I used it as kind of a shoulder trip before I was, I was teaching in London. So it, it was just a very easy flight. So I spent 10 days there and then flew up to London to teach. Um, the second time, my friend and I, we shot, we we'd put together a pitch for uh, a book, on the Michelin star restaurant that I mentioned, La Finiere. And so when we went back, we shot we shot for about a week at the restaurant. And then um, the rest of the time was playtime. Uh, yeah, well, playtime is good time. Yeah, like speaking of like what, what you shot, like what was your favorite things to photograph there? Was it the people, the architecture, like the you know, landscapes? Like, what What was your favorite thing? The landscapes are definitely gorgeous there. In In this case, we were pretty food-centric because we were at one of the top Michelin star restaurants in the world, which happens to be gluten-free. Oh, wow. And so I can eat there. And so you hear that everyone <laughs> out there? We, yeah. Gluten-free. Gluten-free, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> we ate our shot list, needless to say. Great. So that was really um, kind of the crux of the book. But mm-hmm. there's also a lot of landscape, architecture, mm-hmm. kind of some of the restaurant interiors and exteriors in the book. I think... Um, for most of us in movies, um, we've seen, you know, the Provence countryside right. so much. So that's that's what I'm thinking of. I think of this really romantic, Very quaint, quaint countryside. I don't know why I only see it at golden hour for some reason. I could have only seen it in movies. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why. Is it like that, Jill? Yeah, you kind of do actually. It's um, like the movie A Good Year. I don't know if you remember that, but I think you know, so. The yes. vineyards, That's um, the sunset, the lavender exactly. fields. Why do it, I think you have a wicker basket or something <laughs> with fruit, fresh well, fruit? Dressed in wicker. Exactly. <laughs> right. So the, I think the real so. question is why are you back here? Why aren't right. you still there? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, That's why she's going back. Right. She has to go back. Um, so you mentioned that you were shooting for your book. Mm-hmm. So my question is, when you go there, do you know what you want to shoot for the book? Like, do you have a shot list? Are you capturing, you know, a lot of imagery, a lot of content? 
when you get back to the States, you're like, oh, my, you know, I have all this great content. Here's the style of book I want to do. We knew in advance that we had a pretty good idea of what we want to shoot. And with all books, it kind of works like this. We put together a shot list, um, shoot as much as we possibly can around the subject. So for this book, we knew we were doing the Bistro Classics. We were doing um, the Michelin star portion of the restaurants of the fine dining dishes. Sounds like an awful shoot on it. It does, yeah. Oh, got to taste <laughs> the landscape, food. the landscape, shooting a lot of the ingredients. Provence is known for, you know, farm-to-table cuisine, right. and so a lot of those ingredients um, were key shots. And then just as well as the landscape, the architecture, the interiors and exteriors of the property were stunning as well. So we knew we wanted to include all of that. And in this case, um, you know, we have to, typically with books, you have to work quite quick, quickly when you're on location, especially if you're doing anything around restaurants, chefs, sure. and the hospitality industry, because you can't, like, overtake the place. You have right. to work around I'm sure things. I'm it's dictated so. on their schedules and what they're doing. Absolutely. And in this case, you know, we were worried. You're always worried with the book. Like, do you have enough content? When we got right. back, we had probably enough content for three books. Oh, wow. oh my gosh. So um, there was so much. It was it, the hardest Trigger part happy. was... happy. going. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, all those all those gluten-free desserts. They have, <laughs> they have a lot of energy. Right. Um, so we actually had two. So the hardest part of this particular book for me was just taking things out. We had to edit down to, okay. get, to get to the right page count. But yeah, we have a pretty good idea for shot list. But books always take on a life of their own. So you kind mm-hmm. of go in with the most planning that you can do. But when it comes to actually putting together the layout, it has to it usually kind of takes on its own story through the imagery and through through the content. So it's just being, you know, having a big enough plan in place, but then also being adaptable enough to let the story come through right. in the medium that you have it. In this case, since it's very visual, it has to be able to tell the story visually. Yeah. And so editing, editing to that. But. So when you when you tr- when you're traveling and you're shooting, you know, uh, for a book with, you know, culinary kind of theme in mind, is there when you pick out your locations, do you think like there's better parts of the world that have better cuisine, you know, that that would lend themselves better to being shot and captured, you know, through the lens of your camera? Or do you just kind of find the location and then hope that you can find, uh, you know, a Michelin-rated restaurant or kind of how does that work? Well, certainly for the Michelin star restaurants, that is definitely a planned shoot. So that's reaching out in advance, you know, setting things up. That usually takes, you know, in this case, case it took a couple of months to kind sure. of set that up with the restaurant. Um, if it was, say, a general book about food, I think there's definitely, there are definitely regions of, of the world that are more known for food. For sure. um, when it comes to actually photographing food, the food needs to be styled. Mm-hmm. So the higher-end restaurants, you know, presentation and plating is a big part of what they do. Um, So it lends itself to a book format. If you were doing, say, street food in Thailand, um, that would be another option. It would be a very different type of shoot, though. It would be a little more run and gun. And you'd have a food stylist on set, like, getting things from the different stalls. (laughs) Sam Sam and Kevin, you both would be great candidates for this job. (laughs) Getting things ready and and putting it together. I was already convinced, like, at the beginning. Yeah. Um, So what what was the best thing you ate? It might be hard, but what was the best thing? Yeah, can you really narrow it down? Right. It's it's pretty tough, but I have to say for me, the gluten-free pastry, French-style pastry, that's mm. something that, you know, here we have a lot of, you know, gluten-free desserts and things. But there to have French style pastry gluten-free is a very very rare like this is probably the only right. restaurant in the world right. that does it. Art in itself it finding is. a way to make pastry gluten-free. Right. right. Yeah, so the the pastry puff right. gluten free was yeah. like pastry pre- puff pretty amazing, especially in the rest because the rest of France has amazing food, but it is a little bit hard um, to eat. I'm gluten and dairy free, <laughs> so it's a Goodness. little bit 
I wouldn't say it's hard, but it's, you know, you're a little more limited in other places. So being at this particular Michelin star restaurant, eating that level of food and being able to eat anything off the menu was pretty spectacular. I think that's a great great point. Do you find that as a challenge when you travel because you're gluten-free and dairy-free? You know, because I know probably a lot of our West Coast listeners, you know, have have the same kind of challenges when they travel. Does that make your travels any more difficult or do you just have to plan ahead? You know, kind of what's your take on that when you travel? For the majority of places, it's really not an issue. There are plenty of options. And I would say outside of the U.S. and certainly Western Europe, most places aren't gluten-heavy. Most countries aren't don't have gluten-heavy cuisines. So for me, it's relatively easy. I do plan, like I bring, you know, meal replacement, you know, meal replacement bars and mm-hmm. drinks and things. But it's usually not a big issue. And I think dietary restrictions, it's something that you see that I've noticed traveling over the last couple of years almost everywhere, everywhere you go, um, especially high-end hospitality. They're very, they've become very adept at catering to, to all those things because most people on some level have restrictions or preferences. And that's just a part of global travel. I mean, you can't, you know, you, you change and you want to adapt and you, you enjoy the you know, everything the destination has to offer, but there are some modifications that people people need to make. Do you think Do you think social media plays a hand in that at all? Because we're such a, a visual kind of society now, and with the advent of social media and Instagrams and things like that, um, it's so easier, it's so much easier now to show these exotic locations or just different locations. And so, for tourism in general, do a lot of these places you think? have to be conscientious of their traveler and be, you know, more uh, adaptable to be able to cater to what the, you know, what the, the traveler needs. Absolutely. And I think part of offering great hospitality is being aware of what, what the consumer wants and also helping kind of package local food in a way that, you know, tourists and, and foreigners can enjoy it and understand and what it is. And not intimidated by it. Right. 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 Something recognizable, but still... Sure. You know, still, you still feel like you are involving yourself in the culture of the country. Yeah. I think that's really important. That's why I was like, what is the best thing that you ate out there? <laughs> um, so cost-wise, what, you know, what does it take? Um, you mentioned there's Airbnb that you had stayed at before, mm-hmm. right? And then, so food, uh, food, souvenirs, where you stayed, travel, you know, transportation, cost-wise, what was it like? So Did you you're- plan ahead? Yeah. Europe in general is kind of interesting when you look at cost-wise because you can get, especially from, you know, we're based in Los Angeles, but you can get amazing flights from the major U.S. major U.S. cities at different times of year. It's just a matter of watching it. So I think if you want to do something on a budget, say to, mm-hmm. say to Provence, it's very, very possible. Um, if you're not flexible on the time of year you're going, that can make a huge difference on, on, on airfare. So for, say, an economy, a coach class ticket— it can be anywhere from I got one as low as four hundred and fifty dollars, wow. all the way. You know, it can go all the way up to two thousand. Like if you're going at a, mm-hmm. at a ticket, so there's a huge variation. And same thing, there's tons of uh, France has great bed and breakfast. There's Airbnb options. There's hotels, and and the same thing there. If you book early, um, because those places, particularly in more popular destinations like Provence, they book up very quickly. The good places because it's a place people also go back to year after year, mm-hmm. so they have a lot of repeat business. But if you book early. On those you can you can get very good deals um, in, in Provence and and then food it just depends you know obviously if you're eating at Michelin star restaurants <laughs> your budget goes pretty far up. Than the fast yeah food right. chain. but there's the great thing about France is if you know you fall down the street and you trip you're gonna land in a good restaurant there's yeah. there's not really 
bad food in France, and they have amazing markets, particularly in Provence. Uh, there's a market in Lumeron that's quite famous. You know, they have fresh figs in fall and artichokes, and they go through their season. So yeah. you have you have lots of options and variants on budget, but it's absolutely possible to do it on a budget if you're if you're open to kind of the timing, if you're a little bit flexible on the timing uh, that you're going, yeah, um, and just booking far enough in advance. Was there anything that surprised you about Profonds that you just weren't ready for or took you aback? One of the things that actually surprised me about it is I'm, you know, used to traveling in Europe. I've spent a lot of time there. And everything is so accessible by train and public transportation. So one of the things about Provence that did surprise me was that it's not as public transportation accessible when you're in the countryside. So within Marseille and within Aix-en-Provence, you can certainly get to other major cities in the country. But actually getting around the region, I was surprised at how driving dependent it is. There aren't really, I mean, I'm sure there are buses too kind of random places, but it's not a particularly easy place to get around if you're going to some of the smaller towns or from place to place. And taxis are, you know, there's Uber in Marseille, um, but there's not you know, no taxi service, no bird scooters. Yeah, there <laughs> is a you know you can you can get taxis, but it's 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 somewhat of an effort and sure. pretty costly to order taxis um, outside of the major cities. So, what would you say were your top three highlights from Provence? It could be any of the times you went there, but what are the top three? Ooh, that's tough. Um, She's like food, food, and uh, right. food. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I know. <laughs> right, right. I'm trying to trying to think of something that isn't food, but I would say. Um, yeah, the food. It, it is really the food experience mm-hmm. there, the food driving around in the countryside. So uh, the Michelin star restaurant that we shot at La Fenier, the food was absolutely amazing. We also visited, Alain Dacasse has a restaurant in Moustier called Le Pastille de Moustier, which is absolutely amazing. They have a helicopter pad, so you can, in theory, fly your helicopter and land there. And uh, visiting a, that restaurant us, was right? uh, useful to know, good to know. It's pretty right. profound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think just driving through the countryside, you know, yeah. finding all the, you know, there's all these little towns, there's so much history in that region and there's just there's just a level of depth and kind of you know navigating your way around the country roads and region and 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 coming across um you know new sites and new things is just it's really fun it sounds exciting right yeah so now that i have this vision of like the golden hour wicker basket (laughs) situation um what what would you say are your packing tips uh, going to Provence, France during this time of the year? So during this time of the year, so in September, it's still usually pretty warm. Um, a good thing to do is a weather check because it, it is a time of year where things can kind of change. Okay. They go from like still like quite warm, like high 80s down to like the 70s and cooling down during the day. So definitely, I would I definitely recommend packing in layers. So having like light wool like a light wool kind of cover-up sweater, nice outerwear, light jackets, um, just so you can kind of take it up and down a a notch depending on the weather. Mm -hmm. Um, The last couple of times I've been there, it was quite hot. So also being prepared for the warmer weather too. Um, And I think layers are just an easy way to pack to kind of get around having to pack for two totally separate seasons. Yeah, no, that's uh, extremely useful information, I think, to know. Right. So, speaking of, let's get into Jill's packing hack of the day. Day. <laughs> let's so hear I think Jill, we, 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 want it, we want to know. Yeah. Because you travel so often, you got to have some hacks, right? Right. So, I think, you know, throughout this podcast series, we would love to know some of those little tidbits that you might know of or have little tricks that some people might not know. So, for Provence, as it relates to... 
Were there any hacks that you used or, you know, things that you can provide a listener? Yes. So my packing hack of the day is actually regarding shoes. And this is for packing carry-on only. And I know this is tough, especially for, well, I shouldn't say just the ladies out there, but because I know a lot of men that have, I have a lot of shoes. shoes. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. across from me. Sneakerhead. But I really try to limit shoes to two pairs. Okay, so I can't go. I can't yeah, go. Yeah, you can't. No, you, can't. Sorry. Nope. <laughs> you don't have to, but I find that, and first of all, both have to be somewhat walking. They have to both be walkable. When, okay. Particularly in Provence, if you're, you know, on cobblestone streets, you don't want to be in, you know, your Louboutins. They will get <laughs> ripped up in two minutes. So having two, you know, two pairs of shoes that are both, you can walk in one a little bit dressier for evenings out, and then one just great pair of, you know, day walking shoes, something that you're comfortable spending the whole day in. Um, but I think shoes tend to take up the most amount of space. And I think it's usually wasted space. Oftentimes when I've traveled, you know, with four or five shoes, you don't end up wearing, you know, usually more than two. You kind of get used to um, yeah. the, the ones you have. So I think eliminating that, making that decision before you leave will help save space and save weight in your, in your luggage. Awesome. Definitely useful. Useful tips. Good to know. (laughs) Well, thank you, Jill. Thank you. So exciting. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Carry On Only. Thanks for listening to Carry On Only, dedicated to inspiring your next global adventure. Listen to Jill take you around the world in style, live every week right here or 24-7 on demand at StarWorldWideNetworks.com. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share. For immediate access to Jill's destination guides, blog, and show notes, please visit jillpater.com. And follow her on Instagram at jillpater.